You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Would you join me in prayer right now? We need the Lord so much. We need Him so much this morning. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we were singing, I just I just realized this morning that I can sing about such weighty and beautiful truth without feeling them. Sometimes I can just go to the motion, Lord. I can preach by going through the motion, but this is not what you desire, Lord. You don't desire simply songs. You don't desire simply a service. You want worship. Oh Lord, would you do a great work amongst us this morning by your Holy Spirit? Would you transform each one, each heart here in worshiper? Or give life to those that are dead? Revive those that are numb? I can do it, Lord, but you can, and you're pleased to do it. And I'm asking that as we proclaim, as we open your word, and as as I proclaim it this morning, that you will be pleased to give life in this room. Life, Lord. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um... Amen. You can open your Bible um, in the book of James. Open your Bible in the book of James chapter 1. And we are going to read uh, from verse 5 through 8. So it's a, in the book of James chapter 1 in the, and from verse 5 through 8. And as you're finding the book, um, we, just, we just moved back to Quebec like one week ago. And then I'm here. So, uh, and people of the people of Quebec, sometimes they like we met a lot of families and old friends during the week, and they were like, "So, it must be so good to be home." And, and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> uh, uh, just, just because honestly, there is a sense of me where, I, and it's the same thing for my wife. We, we didn't felt like we were home that much. <laughs> We felt like we just quit for one year. We were in a place where our kids get, got fed. We were, got fed also we, like we quit the noises and to, to get into a desert. So, so last Sunday morning, there was boxes everywhere and no church to go and, and nothing for the kids and all that. So I, we, I, it kind of down on us like, okay, this is, this is our reality now. So we are moving back to Quebec, not because... It, Oh, we need to be home so much. No, we are moving back to Quebec because something needs to be done. Something needs to be done there. And, and, and I know that it is hard ground. A lot of people say it is hard ground. It's, it's true in some way, but you know what? The problem of the people of Quebec is exactly the same problem of the, the people here. I mean, the Bible tells us that we are born dead. This is the problem. You cannot be more dead than dead. So, so people here, what they need is life. They need the giver of life, Jesus Christ, to give them life to their dead hearts. And the people of Quebec, what they need? Well, the same thing. So we are going with the same God. People are people and God is God. And God is pleased to move also through the prayer of his church. So would you, would you please like pray for us? That, that, that God will do what we cannot do. It won't come from, from, from our preaching or whatever. It, it, it needs to come from a mighty move of the Spirit of God as God's peoples pray. And what I love about this church and, and the, the, uh, all the harvest church that I've visited is that there is that... Not, not, not only like a pillars of prayer where it is just written as a declaration of faith, but something that you are really believing in. And, and I know that you are truly a praying church. So will you please join us in prayer? And when I know that someone's come to me and said, we are praying for you, that is such 
and encouragement. I don't take that lightly. We know that we're covered, and we don't know what the Lord has in store, but we know that He wants to do something there. So, yeah, so that's, I'm just, so in fact, I feel like I'm, I'm home here. I'm, I'm home. Like, I just came back home yesterday, finally. Um, and it's good to be with you this morning. So, uh, hopefully you find the book of James, chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 5 through 8. So, ready? Read. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God to give generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, so the title of my message this morning is Asking for Wisdom When Life is Hard. Asking for wisdom when life is, uh, is hard. And one of the major themes uh, in the book of James, if you ever read that book, is the call to persevere in trials. Because trials are real. And we need to persevere. And he reminds us uh, right at the beginning of his letter that trials are mean, which God will, uh, will use to produce steadfastness in our life. This is something that God is using. And steadfastness can make us Perfect and complete, according to verse 4. So in other words, trials can be a mean to produce a holy character in us. And so look here, okay? If you are a child of God, then God has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> and, some, and some people, uh, they're like, oh no, this is not like his message this morning. Because honestly, we can laugh at that, at that phrase because I know that... Like every youth conference that I went to, uh, or most of them, the team uh, when I was young was always like, God has a wonderful plan for your life. But the problem is no preacher ever told us what it was. Uh, I guess they didn't know themselves, but we, we knew that he had a wonderful plan, and now we needed to find it somewhere. So, uh, but, but, but the fact remains, if you are a child of God, then God really do have a wonderful plan for your life, which may not be your plan, you know? But it is still the best plan for you. And that wonderful plan is to conform us to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. So Christ's likeness is the ultimate goal, and God will use any means to make it possible in a reality in our life. So, in verse 2, 3, and 4, uh, and four James is calling us to uh, consider trials in our life as a subject of joy. And that's supernatural. You can, you can do it by yourself. Uh, who can look at trials and really say, oh, trials, all right, and just be joyful? Um, but J James told us that we can do it because God will use them. God will use our trials in order to make us look more and more like Jesus Christ. But then, James continues his letter by introducing the subject of wisdom. And it, get, it can get confusing there a little bit. Like, okay, so you, I, have you just switched subject? Or the question is, why is James writing about wisdom at this point? Why follow verse 4? or the first uh, four verses uh, in his letter with the theme of wisdom. And it's so important to just get the fact that James is not switching subject. He's not changing subject at all here. James knows all too well that verse 2, 3, and 4 can't be a reality in your life unless you have divine wisdom. It just can't. And honestly, I, I long so much to look at trials in my life. I mean, illness and, and, and betrayal and a financial problem or that, maybe just that flat tire on your car. And you know, all of those, uh, of those trials. And to be able to say, wow, that's a good day. That's a good day because Christ's likeness is coming. Thank you, Lord. Uh, well, that's basically what James is telling us, to count uh, are the, uh, all of those trials as subject of joy, uh, 
What can destroy your joy when you truly think like that? When your mindset is really like that, what can destroy your joy? And to be honest, it, it seems like, okay, that's just like a concept. It's just out there. It's out of reach. Who really lives like that? But yet, yet it's there. It's in the Word of God. And James tells us that this unshakable joy is possible for those who receive wisdom from God. So now track with me. Because if wisdom is really the way to joy and godliness in trials, <laughs> I need it. I mean, I'm craving, I'm craving for this wisdom, and I need it so much, and I'm sure that you do too. So our first editor this uh, morning is simply this, desire wisdom, desire wisdom. And uh, let's look at verse 5 together. Uh, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who give generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So James uh, finish verse 4 by saying that the goal of trials is that our character will lack nothing. And then he begins verse 5 by addressing the possibility of lacking something. Lacking wisdom, in fact. But why? Well, because if we lack wisdom, then we will be lacking in everything else. We will be lacking in everything else. And so if James consider wisdom to be so important, then I guess that we should know what wisdom is. What does he mean by wisdom? I, I love what Nancy DeMoss says about that. She says that wisdom is really learning to see all of life from God's point of view. Wisdom is really learning to see all of life from God's point of view. So we need to ask him for wisdom because honestly... I don't have like the, uh, that whole worldview all the time. I don't see what God sees. I don't know what he knows. So I need wisdom. And wisdom is to have that God perspective and understanding on life, which then lead us to a godly response in every situation we are facing. And that's why it's so desirable. I need that. I need divine perspective. Um, because the truth is, we all lack wisdom and understanding. We don't have specific answer to all of our problems. I mean, uh, what am I supposed to do when I have my kids and I've tried just to dis discipline them? And it, it seems that nothing seems to work. Uh, well, needs wisdom. I really do need wisdom. How to respond in love when your faith is being ridiculed by someone that is close to you. Need wisdom. How do you plant a church in Quebec? I don't know. <laughs> like we have, honestly, like our plan is basically, well, we will preach the Bible and we will pray. That's, that, that's it. We don't know. We have no clue how to plant a church in Quebec. But we believe in the God who answers prayer and we believe that as we ask for wisdom, God will grant wisdom. And God did something amazing here also in, Har in Harvest, Niagara. In just a couple of years, that's amazing. But what is he expecting from this church in the future? Well, you need wisdom. You need wisdom. So listen now to the words of Sam Albury. Sam Albury uh, um, said this, One of the features of trials is that they so often become all-consuming. It can be hard to think about anything else. We can become utterly absorbed by what we are going through. And it can seem impossible to look beyond the immediacy of pain in order to see anything else. And honestly, I recognize myself in those words. I don't know if you can recognize yourself, but I can recognize myself. When I'm going through hard time, it seems that my whole world revolves around those trials and whatever what other people are going through. I'm just, I'm just so stuck in, 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 in those things that are happening to me. So it seems that it's just all-consuming. 
And I'm sure that some people today must be going through tough time. It, it, it's, it's certain. In a place like that, I mean, you just have to be with two or three people, and you're pretty sure that one, at least one of those are going to trials. So I know that some people are going to trust time this morning, and, and some of you are probably grieving the loss of someone that was very close to you. And, and it's, it's, it's painful, and the tears are real, and some of you are feeling maybe an, an immense sense of pain because you've been betrayed by a close friend, or even worse, maybe it was your spouse that did that, and that does something to your heart that is terrible, or, or some are in, just in deep distress because your kid that you love so much, and you've, you've poured your life into them, and, 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 but that kid decided to walk away from the Lord, and you're just, you're just your heart is, is grieving so much. And this pain can be so absorbing that you can hardly think about anything else or even imagine how you will make it through another day. So, so I'm deeply aware. As I'm, as, I'm, as I'm preaching, as I was just preparing that message, I'm deeply aware that I'm, I'm not talking about theoretical stuff. I mean, I'm talking about real life this morning. Real things this morning, because either you're going through trials right now, or you will be going through trials at some point in the future, or you've just come out of that big time of trials. So, so we need wisdom. Are we going to deal with that? Are we going to protect our heart? We need wisdom. We need that divine worldview in order to prepare and protect our hearts against the wave of difficulties. And some years ago, uh, I, I came across a story, and I just, uh, um, it always stick with me. And uh, uh, I just want to read it to you. Uh, it goes like this. In 1952, maybe you know that name, but young Florence Chadwick stepped into the water of the Pacific Ocean of Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her. But still she swam for 15 hours and when she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother in a boat alongside told her she was close and that she could make it. But finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she, she stopped swimming and she was put it out. And it wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than half a mile away. And I'll pay attention, okay? Because at the news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Have you heard that last part? All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. So look here. Seeing the end goal clearly is what can give us the strength to persevere, to see the shore. And what's the end goal again? To become like Jesus Christ, Christ-likeness. That's the whole point of asking for wisdom during our trials. Because honestly, it's, it's, it's impossible it's just impossible for us to count it all joy when we are facing trial unless, unless we get divine insight and wisdom and unless we realize that God has a plan behind that and that these things do not happen like just randomly in our life. So now get this. Huh? Wisdom. Wisdom is asking God to clear the fog so we can see the shore clearly and continue to swim. Not necessarily asking God to stop the wave. Wisdom is about asking God to clear the fog so we can see the shore clearly and just continue to swim. Not necessarily asking God to stop the wave. And honestly, I, I so easily get distracted by the problems of my day-to-day -day living that I, I lose sight so often of the end goal. And I become grumpy. So, 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 so wisdom is about getting that big picture on our circumstance, which then leads us to joy 
and perseverance. And now that we know that uh, what is wisdom and why we need it, let's move to our second point, which is acquire wisdom. We know what wisdom is. Now we want to acquire wisdom. So let's read verse 5 and 6 again. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So James could not be clearer. It's pretty simple. The way to acquire wisdom is simply to ask God in faith. I mean, that's, that's so simple, and yet, yet, it's packed with truth that we need to ponder this morning. And the first thing that we absolutely need to realize this morning is that if you want real wisdom, you need to turn to God. He is the only source of wisdom. We need to turn to God, but why, where are you going? When you're going through tough times and you need wisdom and you need discernment and you need insight, where are you going? You meant maybe you meant psychology? Or, or maybe you're going to some self-help book, but at the end of the day, all of those books leave you helpless. Or maybe you're one of those Oprah fans and you're going to Oprah, or maybe, sorry if I offend people with that, but you know. Or maybe you're going to Dr. Phil or whatever, the wisdom of the, of the world. But that's not where you should go. You go to God. Because the Bible tells us that in the book of Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is inside. That's awesome. The fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. You don't have that. You don't have even like the beginning of wisdom. And you want insight? Well, if you want insight, then the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So there is no real wisdom and no true insight to be gained apart from God. So God is the one we shall ask for wisdom. But James also tells us that we shall ask him in the particular manner. It says, ask him, but ask him in faith. Ask him in faith. So, so please understand this. Um, James is not asking us to play mind games here. We need to be clear on what faith is, okay? Because some people have that notion of faith uh, uh, looking like a bit like the, the force, in Star Wars, you know, like you use the force, you convince yourself, in, and you use the force to get what you want. And some people think of faith in that sense of trying to convince themselves, and, and, and they get into that mode of, of saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, and trying to convince themselves by their own power. This is not what it is talking about. This is not real biblical faith. So give me your attention, because um, what I'm going to say is key to, uh, to understand our passage this morning. Faith, the faith that James is talking about here, is about truly knowing who God is and giving him our entire trust. This is faith. Faith is about truly knowing who God is and giving him our entire trust. So the key to ask God is to know God. And that's why James ground his plea in the fact that we need a right view of who God is and what are his disposition towards us. And so James writes that God gives uh, generously to all. And he, do, he does that without reproach. But is that your view of God? I mean, do you truly believe that? How do you see God? Do you see him as a hard and grumpy reticent father somewhere that you need to pull like blessing from him. He's like, oh, okay, okay, this time. Or, or do you truly realize that God is generous and that he is more than willing to answer prayer? How do you see God? That's so important. That's so important because James tells us that there are terrible consequences in having a wrong view of God. So let's look with me to what he says in verse uh, 6 to 8. Um, it is written, The one who doubts 
is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And William MacDonald, who is a commentator, a biblical commentator, he says that if we doubt his goodness and power, we will have no stability in time of trouble. We will be like the waves of the sea tossed by the wind. And that's so true. That's so true. And, and, and listen, okay, the danger of trials, because I see that in my own life. I struggle with that, okay? The danger of trials is that they can lead us to reinterpret God's nature, God's character according to our present circumstance. This is what happened. The danger of trials is that they can lead us to reinterpret who God is according to our present circum circumstance. And that's, that's a major temptation in my life. I mean, and we sometimes we, we just live, live like that. We talk like that. When something good happens, we're like, oh, God is so good. And people around you are like, oh, yeah, oh, he's good. It's obvious. Look at the circumstance. Look at how, all of the blessing in your life. Well, God is so good. And, and yes, we should say that. Yes, when God is blessing us, we should say God is good. Because that's true. He is good. But, but it can leave the impression that God is good when my circumstances are good. And that's false. Because God is always good. Whatever my circumstance. The truth is God is good even when everything seems to be falling apart in my life and it makes no sense and I don't understand why He is still good. And unless you are truly convinced of this truth, you won't be able to ask in faith. You won't be able to, to ask in faith. So look here because I know that many people need to, to, uh, to hear that this morning. Um, it's very simple. But write that maybe on the post-it and place it on your refrigerator. Um, your circumstances are lying. Some people need to hear that this morning. Your circumstances are lying. They are not the place to look at in order to understand God. This is not by looking at your circumstance that you can know who God is. And I know that a lot of people let their circumstance dictate their view of God. And so they have no stability. It's up and down all the time. They have no stability in their Christian walk. They are like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And sometimes that's my case. And I need to preach the gospel once again every morning to my own heart so I won't get into that place. And sadly, a lot of that can be attributed to some bad teaching sometimes that people have received. Some people have just been taught all kinds of things like the, uh, that, that if they apply that spiritual law or, or that there is like that, that new spiritual secret that this author will reveal to you. You know, when you have secret in the title of your book, it will sell well. So everybody wants to know the secret. So, so, and that's a secret that no one knows about. And even Paul was not aware of that. And now, but if you apply that, then you will only experience health and wealth and prosperity. And it will just go well. Everybody, every, um, every day will be a Friday. And I want you to be on your guard, okay? I want you to be on your guard because this teaching is extremely dangerous. It's not just bad theology. That's dangerous. And it's a lie. And I personally have seen a lot of people close to me have their faith wrecked because of that kind of teaching. Thinking that God was unfaithful to them uh, because they applied that loss and it didn't work. So you, that teaching is... Is, is, uh, is, it's not only bad teaching, that's dangerous teaching. We have many promises of hardship in the Bible. You realize that? Like it's, it's not like a secret like, oh, it was, oh, I never, I never read that page. I mean, it's all over the New Testament. 
Look at what Jesus says. The Bible contains a lot of promise of hardship, difficulties, and even persecution for the Christian. But do you realize that the Bible contains absolutely no promise of an easy life for the Christian? Read the book. Just read the book. It's not there. So listen, the Bible never says that God proved his love towards us by sending us good circumstances. So stop looking there. And yet this is always what we are doing. And people are like, oh, well, if, but then how can I know God? How can I know that God is good? How can I know that he loves me if I can't look at my circumstance to evaluate who he is? Well, the Bible tells us. It says that God show his love. God prove his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. This is where we know that God loves us. And for many of us, it means a total like reframing of our mind. <laughs> of the way we talk. Uh, of the way we are thinking. Uh, the cross. The cross is where our faith in the goodness of God must be grounded. This is where the Bible points us. By sending his son Jesus to die for us, God gave the ultimate proof of his love for us. Like I said, we can sing about so many great truths without feeling them and just go to the motion. People, do you realize God gave us his own son? Like that's the truth. That's the reality. He gave us his own son, the, mo the most precious being in the whole universe was given for you, for sinners that don't deserve it, that should have been on that place. God gave us his son. What other proof do you need? The truth is our circumstances, they are always changing. You will discover that. They are always changing. But because of the gospel, the disposition of God towards his children are good and always good. And it's true for each believer right now. Whatever your circumstance. Whatever your circumstance. The dispositions towards you. The dispositions of God towards you are good and only good. In other words, God is for you. Even in your hardship and trial, He is for you, according to Romans 8, 31. Even in the worst circumstance. So stop changing your view of God in light of your circumstance. Stop do that, doing that. But change your view of your circumstance in light of who God is. And... Um, and, I, and I want to be just very honest with you, okay? But f for me, it was a life changer um, I, when I was 21 years old. Um, because without Jesus, <laughs> without realizing who Jesus was, um, it would have been very hard for me to put my faith in God. Because my, the, the thing is, we live in, the, in a real world, okay? And, uh, and suffering is real. And, and we live in a world of pain where people suffer and there is real sorrow. So how could you trust a distant God who never tasted it himself? That was my problem. How can I trust him? What does he know? about what is going on right now. What does he know about anger? What does he know about, about that persecution? What does he know about what I'm going through right now? So I was raising my fist to God in the, in the air, just accusing him of not caring, of not knowing, of just, of, of just being distant. And, and that was a major problem for me and for a while. And it's a major problem for a lot of people. But, but then I realized that God became a man. I don't know, it just dawned on me. I mean, I've been taught that uh, when I was a child, but, but still it just dawned on me. God became a man, and he went through all of the same things that we are going through. Do you, do you realize that? That God truly embraced like, every part of your reality willingly? Jesus tasted the, I mean, he tasted the joy of being with a family. He knows what it is to be joyful uh, around a family table. But he also experienced the pain of losing a loved one. And Jesus knew what it was to share a good meal. But he also knew what it was to experience 
anger. And Jesus experienced deep friendship with some people, but he also experienced deep betrayal, heart-wrenching betrayal. And, and Jesus was loved by some, yes, but he was also aided by many people. And he experienced physical suffering, he experienced deep sorrow, and he even experienced death by being nailed to a cross. For a sinner like me, for a sinner like you, so would you come to Jesus this morning? God give you his son, the most precious being in the whole universe. He gave, uh, he gave you his son so that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can have all your sins forgiven and not just have like an improvement of your life, but you can have new life. It can give you a new heart. You can have life eternal and a perspective of joy eternal, whatever your circumstances right now. So why don't you come to God? Why don't you come to God in faith because of Jesus Christ? Because the God of the Bible is not a God who stayed at a distance. I can no longer do that. I can no longer raise my fist to God and say, what are you doing? You just, you just don't care. You just don't know. Because yes, he cares. And yes, he knows. He went through it himself. He went through the same thing. Now, now it's not a God who decided to stay at a distance or even to, to, to come unhurt and like just being born in a castle and, you know, in the best of circumstances. No, he was the servant of all that's the God of the Bible. For me, it changed everything. Honestly, to realize who God is, that Jesus was fully God, it changed everything for me. It does not mean that I have all the answers to my question. I don't. Honestly, I still have a lot of whys. I don't have the answers to all my questions, but it means that I know that he understands and that he can relate to me, and that he can relate to you, because he embraced every part of our reality. Now, that's a God I can trust. That's a God I can trust. So the gospel, which is God becoming a man and dying on a cross for us, it helps us ask the right question during a trial. Not simply ask, why is it happening to me? Why? Why is it happening to me, God? But, 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 but just coming before the Lord and being honest and just saying maybe, I don't understand why. It seems it's just chaos right now. It doesn't make sense. But Lord, how can I glorify you by the way I handle my present circumstance? How can I do it, Lord? And when you ask God for wisdom, be sure it will always point you to the cross. It will always point you to the gospel because it is the wisdom of God. So look here. Don't, don't, don't waste your trials. Don't waste your trials. There is a purpose in them. Don't waste your trials because the, your trials will either, uh, uh, in your trials you will either grumble or you will grow. They will either make you sour or sweet. Because I, um, in, in my last church, uh, I, I was talking sometime. I had a good discussion with older people that went through ver like very difficult circumstances, like death, death of, uh, uh, of, their, of their son, one by suicide, and, and, and some that, have been, uh, that, that truly like, have been through persecution, and, and really like, like hard stories that, 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 that you cannot hear them without shedding tears, okay? And, so, and a lot of their circumstances were very similar. But the thing is, the fruit produced in their life by these trials was so different. So different. Uh, some are just full of peace and joy and hope, but others were just, honestly, they were still there. They were still at church, but they were grumpy and they were resentful. So what made the difference in all that? Well, what made the difference was the wisdom of God. It was the wisdom of God. And here is what I mean. Without wisdom, you will think that your struggles are meaningless. And if you think that, then you will, of course, you will become grumpy and resentful. If there is no meaning behind what you're going through, 
This is what will happen, but the wisdom of God will help you ground your faith in the solid truth of Romans 8.28 that says that everything, okay? So it means like every single little details of your life, if you're a believer, it serves a good purpose in your life. Like there is nothing random in your life. It serves a good purpose. So listen, God is never wasteful. Is never wasteful. And your trials are not meaningless. They are not meaningless. That's the wisdom that will turn trials into opportunity for growth and Christ-likeness. And even joy. Even joy. A joy that surpasses all understanding. That don't make sense, but you still have joy. Because you've got like stronger and bigger promises. You know what is coming, and you can't trust God. So now... To truly believe that God is good and that he is really in control and that he has a purpose behind your trials, well, that, that, that's what it means to ask God in faith. That's what it means to ask God in faith. But now, if you continue in verse 8, the one who doubt is called double-minded. Is double-minded. So what, what does it mean exactly to be double-minded? Well, in one word, to be double-minded is to be divided. You have a double mind. You go in two, two directions at the same time. It's about, yes, you're, you are asking God for wisdom, of course, but you're also doubting his character, also doubting that he is good or that he is sovereign or that he has really good purpose in your life. And you are looking over your shoulder like, yes, God, I will ask you for wisdom, but I will also look over my shoulder to see if wisdom could not come from elsewhere. So the double-minded has no loyalty. He's got one foot in the kingdom of God and his other foot in the world and is searching for wisdom everywhere. If God is away, well, okay. If some, some other technique is away, then, then we'll go there. So the double-minded says, of course I want God. Yeah, yeah, I want God, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I also want my own way. I want God, but on my own term. But according to James, the thing is, the double-minded man is the exact opposite of the man who is pure in heart. That's the exact opposite. And let me read to you. I will just read it uh, for you. Uh, what, what James wrote in chapter 4, verse 8. He begins by saying, um, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So that's the part that probably that you already know if you've been in church for one or two years. Like, and it's, it's amazing. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then he continues. He says, cleanse your hand, you sinner, and now pay attention. He says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, so that's the problem. So that's the problem then. James says that the cure for the, for the person who is double-minded is to have a pure heart. Because to have a pure heart means you are not divided. It means that you have set your mind on one thing. Whatever it costs you, you want to glorify God. Lord, I don't understand everything, but I want to glorify you. I am single-minded. The cry of the pure in heart is I want to please you, God. Show me how now. Because I don't feel maybe like that. But show me how I can do it. Is it your heart this morning? Is it your heart this morning? And now that, that's interesting because according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, the pure in heart, so the single-minded, will see God. This is what Jesus says. The pure in heart, the single-minded, will see God. And it's not just about, okay, that, that's great, because one day that person will die, and since she, yeah, that person is, has a pure heart, then that person will see God. Well, that's, that's true. That's part of the, the truth of that verse. But it's more than that. It's not just a promise from, for when we die one day, but it's the promise that God will manifest himself to that person. He will have that, per, that, that, that particular relationship with God as he's seeking God. And that person will gain insight and wisdom. So how awesome is that? How awesome is, is that? And, and, and how do I need to have that pure heart and to keep my heart in one direction? 
all the time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is inside. Is inside. But the, the double-minded of James chapter 1 verse 8 won't receive anything from God. And he will stay blind to God. And he will be left in his confusion. And that's sad. And that's terrible. So the point is simple. That's very simple. God wants our whole heart, not just part of it. He is asking for total devotion. He wants us to trust Him and His goodness, even when our circumstances are screaming something else, totally different. But how do you get to that place of confidence and trust? Well, it's about the fear of the Lord. And it's about the knowledge of the Holy One. So do you know Him? And I'm, just, I'm not just talking about do you know about God, but do you know Him? Do you spend time in His Word? Do you study who He is, His attribute? Do you, do you, is your voice be, being resounding in, in the throne room of God often? Are you, are, are you with God often? You need to know Him. You need to know him. This is where wisdom will come. So listen, if you are a believer, ask him for wisdom. You're a believer this morning? Ask him. Ask him. And, and you will f- probably feel that. Sometimes you will do that. You will just ask him for wisdom. And you won't feel necessarily wiser after asking. It's not like, oh, I was waiting for that beam or something, but it's not happening right now. But hey, as you are asking for wisdom, trust him that he will guide you, even if you don't feel anything right now, because that's his promises. That's his promises. That's his promises for your health, for your wavering kids, for your job, in your ministry, for your, mari- for your marriage. That's his promises, and he won't fail you, church. God won't fail you. He won't. Those who put their trust in the Lord won't be put to shame. So God is, has told us his plan for our life in the Bible. And that's that we will become more and more like Jesus Christ. And yes, yes, trials are a big part of that process. And a lot of people that have been through a lot of trials and that, grow, and that have grown out of those trials sweet instead of a sour, those people will say those were the time, honestly, where I, 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 I was experiencing pain, but I've never experienced the love of God in a more meaningful way than in those times. This is where I have truly grown, and I will not have the peace and the joy that I have right now if I, if I hadn't gone through those trials. It doesn't mean that trials are pleasant. I mean, we're not masochists. We don't like that. We don't like to suffer. But it's still something that God is using to grow. So wisdom is about keeping this big picture in front of our eyes and asking God to help us respond well to our trials. So now my question is very simple. What are you going to do with that message this morning? What are you going to do with that message because I know that some are going to trials, and it's, it's, it's now. You are going to trials, and, and you are, I mean, your tears are real. I don't want to dismiss that, okay? I know what it is to be broken, and your, your tears are real, and your sorrows are real, and your circumstances don't make sense, but yet, yet, through all of this, you know that the Lord is good, through all of this, there is that sense of you know that he is for you and that there is a purpose. You don't understand why exactly, but there is a purpose behind what seems to be only chaos. So may your heart be comforted this morning. You are a beloved child of God and he has not said his last word in your life. Trust him. He won't fail you. But I also know that some other people are going to trials, or I've been through a period of severe trials, maybe in the past, and you are here this morning, and honestly, if, we are, if you are true, like you're still at church, but your heart is bitter. You are bitter towards God. Well, let me tell you again. Let me tell you again that your circumstances are lying. They are lying. I don't, I don't have, honestly, I don't have all the answers to why you're going through such things right now. It's such trial. But I know the truth that God cares. 
He does. He cares. And he's not indifferent. And he went through it himself. And this morning, honestly, it is great time. It is great time that you let go of your bitterness and of your anger. Then maybe just, just be real with God and confess your confusion to him. Confess your confusion to the Lord and, and repent of your bitterness. And even through your pain, which is real, ask God for wisdom this morning. Because he is good. He is good. He is powerful. He cares. And he really does love you. He loves you. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, the truth is, we, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, and this is where you should be. We need your wisdom so much, Lord. We need your wisdom. We need that, your perspective, Lord. We need that. We, will, we, we can't do it on our own. We can't be left to ourselves. We need you, Lord. And I'm praying particularly for the children, your children, that are going through a seasons of trials, major trials, major testing right now and confusion. Lord, br bring comfort to their heart. Bring comfort to their heart. I pray, Lord, for a church that will just continue to be solidly grounded in the gospel. Because our circumstances are lying and they are sometimes screaming louder than your word, Lord. May it be different now. The cross is where we are looking this morning. This is where we are looking this morning. You gave your son. Bring healing to those who are bitter. Give us pure heart, heart that seeks your glory, even, even, even when life is hard. So increase our hunger for holiness. Increase our faith in, in your goodness. Increase our joy. Increase our joy in Jesus Christ so that in our seasons of trials where there is tears and pain and sorrow, that those seasons will become precious seasons where we become more and more like the one we love, Jesus Christ. And it is in his precious name that I pray. Amen.